Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you that we were able to gather together to study the Word of God, for fellowship, worship, to spend time in this unique activity in this place. Lord, we just pray for those that are traveling. We pray that you'd watch over and keep them safe. Pray for those that will be coming later, that they would have um, uh, the time before them they would use well. And, and the Father, that, that, that as everybody walks into this building today, that they would do so understanding that um, this is a, a, a special activity on a special day with special people. And we thank you for that. Father, we pray for many that are out of town, away from us. Just pray that you, you would bless them, watch over them, keep them safe. And, uh, Lord, we thank you very much that uh, you're our God and that you have made us your people. Teach us this morning as we open up the word of God. Give us great understanding. And we pray that for our students throughout the building and our children as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are um, studying the new covenant. We started that last week. We're going to finish that up today, I hope. And uh, so turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. Chapter 31, Jeremiah 31. And we started uh, last week and did a lot of uh, background work, and I am not going to repeat all of that. I'm going to repeat just a few things, certainly not all of it. Um, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to um, get the CD or go online and listen to the Sunday School lesson so that you know what we're talking about because there was a lot of background stuff that we, that we talked about that is important for your understanding of this particular topic. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Then go to the book of Ezekiel. So Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel chapter 36. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, and we'll begin with verse number 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from your uncleanliness, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. So I want to point out to you, as Ezekiel repeats the new covenant, I want you to notice the very first couple of verses of this passage that we're in. 22, 23. It's interesting, isn't it, that God says the reason he's going to act is because of why? His namesake. His namesake. Okay? God does what God does because he is God. It is for his namesake. God will continue to do what God does because he is God, and he will make sure that everybody knows that he is God. God will act in spite of of those who belong to him, in spite of his people sometimes. God is going to declare himself to be God. <clears throat> the thing that, that happens in life is we have an opportunity to go along with him right now. We have an opportunity to join with him right now. God's going to work sometimes along with us, us with him actually, and God's going to work sometimes in spite of us. 
So what's it going to be? You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to approach this whole thing? God makes that very clear that I'm going to do this for me, for my name. And I want you to do this to glorify my name. But if you refuse, if you're unfaithful, I will continue to be faithful. All right? And I just wanted to point that out, that that's exactly what God does on a regular basis across the board. And anytime God enters into a covenant with his people, there are two kinds of covenant. One is an unconditional covenant, and one is a conditional covenant. And the conditional covenants are, if you'll do these things, I'll do these things. The unconditional covenants, I'm going to do these things no matter. The vast majority of covenants that God enters into with his people are unconditional covenants. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, now it would really be nice if you did it, if you did this. But I'm going to do this no matter. All right, and so that's, that's what God does. And he declares to those people that walk with him and follow him, I will be true to my name. I will be the one that people will see and glorify, okay? And that's exactly what he does with this group of people here. All right, now, last week we went through some things, and, and we talked about dispensations. We talked about the covenant a little bit. We talked about dispensations. We talked about the, the Old Testament, the flow of the Old Testament, and, and what went on with all of that. And I want you to notice some things, both in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. We're going to mostly be in Jeremiah, so... In, in these passages, it is incredibly clear in chapter 31, beginning in verse 31 of Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, I said this last week, and I want to make it incredibly clear that the new covenant is indeed for Israel. Okay? This is the agreement between God and the nation of Israel. This is an unconditional covenant. God says, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to notice what it, what it says in here that he's going to do. All right. First of all, in verse 32, he says, this won't be like the covenant, the old covenant. This won't be like when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. This won't be what went on when they broke it, when they refused to follow my law and obey me. It will not be like this. He says in verse 33, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is a future event, he says. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, there are a lot of people that will say that the new covenant is all about us, and it's completely about us. It's not. I will get to that in a moment. We're a part of it, but it's not about us. It's about the nation of Israel. And here, and then, but they, those who say that it's about us, stop at verse 33. They, they read this, and they say, I... I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And you have this phrase that people use. We read it in Ezekiel, that I have a new heart because I'm part of the new covenant. And so they stop, and they don't go on to the next verse. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more. That's not where we're at in life right now, is it? We are not at a point where everyone knows the Lord right now, are we? We are not at a point where we no longer need to say, know the Lord. We're not at a point where we no longer need to witness and testify. We're not there yet. And my point in all of that is, this new covenant is yet to be fulfilled. Okay? It's coming. It's down the road. I want to make very clear, and, and, and I will make all of this make sense. So hang in there with me as we go through this. I mentioned this last week as we were rushing through to close, but I want to start and do, take some time. Jesus came to earth as the Messiah to establish the new covenant between God and his people, which is Israel, the Jewish people. Okay? How do we know that? Well, all of the verses in the Bible point toward that. Every single one of them. And, and I referred to that a little bit last week. Turn with me to Isaiah. Okay? Isaiah 9. And this is a, a verse that we know. Um, you know this from the Christmas season. We have this. We talk about this. Uh, we refer to these things on a regular, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, it says... In verse 6, for a child will be born unto us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his, rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. He came to reign over the house of Israel. Okay, that's, that's what he came to do. We read that in, in Luke. We read that in Matthew. We read in the Christmas stories that he came to his people. We understand all of that about Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out. Okay? He has called his disciples in this, in, this, in this passage, in this chapter. He is telling them that they need to now go and minister. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, sent out after instructing them, do not go to the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Understand that Jesus came to minister to, to save, to be the Messiah of the Jewish nation of Israel. And when he gathered his disciples out, he made it very clear here, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the Jews. Go to the lost house of Israel because he came to take that and, and to, to make sure that, that, that that covenant that God talked about in Jeremiah and Ezekiel came to pass with the Jewish nation. Okay? And so we have some other verses uh, about that that say that, but that's good enough. You understand, Jesus, Messiah, came for the Jews. Okay? Everybody all right with that? Okay, so the question then is what happened? And again, we referred to this briefly last week. What happened? They rejected him. The nation of Israel rejected him. And I did point this out last week, and it's incredibly important that, you, that we say this. Because there are people that will say they rejected him, and they'll say all, all evidence to the contrary. And, and, and what they're saying by that is there were a whole bunch of individuals that did not reject Jesus as the Messiah who were Jewish people, right? Name a few of them. Well, the apostles, that's cheating, but that's good enough. Okay, there we go. That's, they all had names, but we understand they were, okay, good enough. That's exactly right. We'll just deal with those folks, okay? They did not, as individuals, they did not reject, but the nation as a whole indeed rejected Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. And, and we'll just do this one. It says in Matthew 21, beginning in verse number 33, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he rented it out to the vine growers and he went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Okay? And again, he sent another group to the slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Who's this parable about? It's about Jesus, but it was about God sending prophets, God sending messengers. And what did they do to the prophets and the messengers? They rejected them. They stoned them. They killed them. And then finally, he sent his son, okay? But when the vine growers saw a son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him. They threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at proper seasons. Jesus said, did you ever read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces, but whomever it falls will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. What's going to happen, Jesus said. And they, said, they gave the right answer. Well, he's going to get rid of those rotten ones, and he's going to bring in others who are going to produce it. Okay? And so what happened was the nation of Israel did indeed reject Jesus Christ over and over again. And so Jesus Christ 
got rid of those. He, was not, he wasn't going to work with Israel anymore, and today he's working with the church. Okay? He's working with the church. Gentiles indeed, the church. Gentiles and Jews. All peoples from all places. So take some time and, and, and go ahead and read chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew. Read those chapters, and it'll help you out with this, and you'll understand, and you'll see this picture a little bit better, okay? That that's exactly what happened was they, the nation of Israel was going to reject Jesus, and that's exactly what they did, and this parable helps us understand what's going to happen. It says that those, re, those who rejected Jesus rejected the cornerstone, but the cornerstone was used to build this magnificent building that we call the church, okay? And he is the cornerstone. So the nation of Israel rejected Jesus. As Messiah, as a nation, they rejected him. They crucified him. But obviously he wasn't done. Here's a fascinating thing. Then you go through all of that. You read these parables. It's an amazing thing. And then you get to the book of Acts. After the, after the crucifixion of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus has, has, has spent time with all of his disciples and has been teaching them and instructing them, when you get to the book of Acts, in the first half, or excuse me, in the first handful of chapters in the book of Acts, who's the message going to? It's still going to the Jews. How amazing and remarkable is that? Okay, what does that teach us about God? What? He loves his people. What else? He's faithful. What else? Forgiving. What else? Patient. Long-suffering. What else? His plan doesn't change. Yeah, this is a remarkable God we're dealing with. I mean, he told the parables in the gospel. You would have thought that as soon as the crucifixion took place and the resurrection took place, that Jesus would have gathered them all around and said, okay, <laughs> you blew it. Where are the Gentiles among you? Okay, they didn't do that. They immediately continued to do that. It was an amazing thing. In Acts, we read phrases like, men of Israel, God of our fathers, you and your rulers. It was still all of that until we get to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, in Acts chapter 10, and this is the story that you know quite well, this is the story of Peter needing to go and visit Cornelius. Okay? And so in Acts, in Acts chapter 10, we see that now the message is for the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 18, in Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 28, there are specific phrases that are used that say that now the message is going to go to the Gentiles, all right? Um, let's, uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 13. And it says this beginning in verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of, God, of the Lord, as many had been appointed to, as, excuse me, and as, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews then, we see, in, incited about women of prominence, and they began to do these riots and try to stop the gospel from going forth to the Gentiles. Because the Jews said, enough, we don't want it anymore, God said, we're going to now turn to the Gentiles. All right. Now, we have a problem at this point. Our problem is, from the history of God and, and people, he has been working in very specific ways with very specific people 
after he worked with the beginning uh, patriarchs and or excuse me, after he worked with Adam and, and Eve and, and Noah, then it, we, he began working with the patriarchs who were the fathers of the nation of, of Israel. All of the Old Testament stuff we read, it's all about Israel. It's all about that. It's all about what's going to happen with them in the future. Then all of a sudden, he's working with Gentiles. What's the story? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Because it's explained to us how this works. Romans chapter 10. It says this, beginning in verse number 16. However, they did not all heed the good news, talking about the Jewish people. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I surely, they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out to the earth, their words to the ends of the world, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, in those verses in 18, 19, and 20, we are reading quotes from the Old Testament. So what, the reason I wanted to, to go there before we got into chapter 11 is that you need to understand that God knew exactly what was going to happen. And even through his prophets, years and years and years ago, his prophets were saying what? You aren't going to listen and God's going to turn to another people. Okay? This is who he's referring to. He, he talks about that he's going to turn to a peop uh, people who are not a people. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. I'm going to turn to, not another nation, a whole other group of people. I'm going to turn to everybody outside of the nation of Israel. Okay? And that was spoken of by the prophets of long ago. Now, verse 11, or chapter 11. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. We'll come back to that later on. God has not rejected Israel. Okay? For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were, not, who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. And David says... Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Now, I want to be very careful here, but I want you to understand what it is that Paul is saying. In the first part of this, he simply talks about the fact that, that God has not rejected Israel, that there are all sorts of Israelites who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are all sorts of Israelites that are saved as Paul was talking about, even when Romans was being written, and we would say that certainly today, there are all sorts of, of Jewish people who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and are saved. But I want you to understand what he is saying in verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. What then? What Israel is seeking is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. Here's the thing. Why is it that God worked in such a way that all of Israel did not see? Why is it that God worked in such a way that the Messiah was rejected? Why is it that Jesus came with parables? Why is it that it wasn't laid out so clear that they all accepted it and ran toward it? Why is it that we read in the Gospels, we read in Romans, we read these verses about God working in such a way that they would hear, but they would hear 
but not understand. They would see, but not understand. Why is it that those verses exist? Why is it that that happened with the nation of Israel? Because it was part of God's plan that the church become the church. Okay? Now, when we start talking about things like this, I understand that we're in the deep end of the pool, and it gets a little overwhelming sometimes. But God worked in a way so that the entire nation of Israel would not see and believe and accept the Messiah so that the gospel would go to Gentiles so that the church would be what the church is today. Okay? In other words, this is God's plan, always was God's plan. This is how he works. Okay? This is what he does. He says it's, it's incredibly, uh, it, it, there in, in chapter 10, he talks about the fact that, uh, that, that I will, I will uh, and Isaiah is very bold, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest for those who did not ask for me. God went to the church. He went to the Gentiles and made the church. Okay, that's the coolest thing in the world. That was all part of his plan. But we still haven't gotten to how this works yet. Here we go. Verse 11. Any questions on that? Sorry. Any questions? You guys with me? Verse 11. And I say then, they did not stumble as to fall, did they may it never be, but by their transgression salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their fulfillment be? In other words, God's not done with them yet. But I'm speaking... To you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my, my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Here we go. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the root, of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. All right. What he is saying here is he goes into this nifty little illustration and talks about a tree. An olive tree is the one that he uses here because that was in their world. And he said, if some of the branches were broken off because they rejected, some of the branches were broken off. Not all the branches of the tree were broken off. Some of the branches of the tree were broken off. And what happened is the wild olive were grafted in. And when they're grafted in, then they became a part of this tree. But it says in verse 18, a great little verse, do not be arrogant toward the branches. In other words, Paul is telling the Gentiles here as they were trying to work on everybody getting along in this brand new thing called the church. You Gentiles, stop thinking that you're better than the Jews because God has now brought the message to you. Stop that. Stop having that arrogance that says you're way special and different than, than to the Jews. You're not, you're not, you're not. Okay? He says, don't be arrogant toward the branches, but if you're arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Picture the tree. So you have this tree, this massive tree growing up. You have it's full of its roots underneath here, so you know what a tree looks like. So you know that there's as much up here and there's as much of up, up down here as there is up there with its root system. And so what you have is you have a, a branch being broken off in different places, and you having Gentiles, us, being grafted in. You have us, the wild olive tree being grafted into the, to the olive tree and when you look at the massive olive tree above and below what do you see Jewish stuff all that God had worked throughout the entire history of life and there's a little bit of us grafted in okay 
We are not supporting it. It is supporting us. Okay? Look at what it says then in verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more would those who are natural branches be grafted into their olive tree? In other words, all Israel, all people who are of, of the nation of Israel, all Jewish people need to do in order to be part of the tree again is what? Believe in Jesus Christ. And they're part of the tree again. Yes, I've started working in a different way, but I'm not done with them. If they will believe, they will be part of the tree. All right? Does this make sense? Okay, this is, this is a pretty important concept that we understand theologically, actually. That we understand this. Okay, that, that this is what God has done. And, and God has done all of this to make the church. So you can continue reading chapter 11 there, but he continues to talk about the fact that you ought not to be overconfident. You need to be careful about disbelief yourself and don't think that you're better than them and don't badmouth the Jewish people. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. And we read this then. For this reason, I, Paul, the pri Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of, Je of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, so that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We now have been grafted in and we're part of all of those promises. Okay? It's the church now. It's the church. So we talked last week about dispensations, and it's important that you understand that idea that God worked with different people at different times. And the, the, the last one before the one we're in now was the dispensation of law when it was from Moses to the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit was given to people, and from that point until the rapture, he is now working with people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is now called the church. And the reason why any of the principles that we cling to and any of the things that we understand work is because of everything that has gone on previous in the Old Testament, the character of God and the work of God and, and God working through all those people that we will be in heaven with and God doing all of those remarkable things and then Israel rejecting and the gospel going to the Gentiles and we now are part of this thing called the church, which is not cultural in any way, shape, or form. The Bible tells us that the church is for everyone. Now you understand a little bit more when those passages that you read that say there's no Jews, no Gentiles, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no men, there's no women. The church is for everyone. There's not a category. It's everyone. Okay? That's what is going on here, and that is what is being taught here, and that is an incredibly important thing, all right? God has not rejected Israel. One more passage with that. Go to, back to Romans chapter 11. So you guys need to read some of these things. This is good stuff. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What? That's what we're talking about in chapter 10. And, and that hardening, it's a, it's a good word, a partial hardening. Not everybody, and not permanent. And the reason why that was done was so that the church could be established, Gentiles could come in, Okay, and that will continue until what? An interesting phrase in verse 25, until the 
fullness of the Gentiles has come. In other words, until this dispensation called grace or the church, God says, we're done. Now we move on to something else. The next dispensation. The fullness of the Gentiles. When does the fullness of the Gentiles finish up? Whenever God deems that it's full. Okay? Verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they were enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Sorry about that. Irrevocable. For just as they were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. God's not done working with Israel. He's going to work with them again. Now, real quick, and these are verses I use all the time, 33 through 36, at the end of these, and, and I include, I do chapters 9, 10, and 11 in this little summary, and I've said this to you guys plenty. You read Romans 9, 10, 11, and as I said earlier, you are swimming in the deep end of the pool. It is overwhelmingly deep, deep, deep theology. And at the end of it, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Wow, this is good stuff, but wow, it's over my head. Because God's the one doing it. Okay? But here's what we understand. God put Israel on the shelf for a while so that he would deal with Gentiles. And oh, by the way, any who are part of Israel can also be part of that and be grafted back in, in effect, if they'll believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because how is one saved? Through Jesus Christ the Savior. And who's exempt from that? Nobody. If you believe, you're saved. Let me deal with a verse. In uh, verse 25 and 26, for I do not want you to, to be, a, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is the covenant with them when I take away their sins. I believe that what this verse is talking about in verse 26, so that all of Israel will be saved, and this is a di difficult verse to, to figure out. There's a lot of people that have a lot of different views. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the fullness of the Gentile is there, there will be the rapture. There will be that tribulation time. There will then be the millennial kingdom. I believe that verse 26 is talking about all of Israel. I believe that, that anybody who belongs to Israel at the end of the rapture, is that's that verse is talking about. That those people who are Jews at the end of the rapture will be saved. At the end of the tribulation will be saved. Right before the millennial kingdom. Okay? That's my interpretation of that. That is my understanding of that. There's people that disagree with that. You have people that are all over the map with this one. That's my understanding of this verse. It's at the fullness of the Gentiles. The rapture takes place. The tribulation is completed. At the end of the tribulation, we go into the millennial kingdom. And I believe that any Jews that are alive at that point will be saved. Okay? Will they be saved because God will wave a magic wand? No, they'll be saved because they believe in Jesus Christ. But God's going to bring that to pass. Okay? So I believe that that is what that is talking about. All right. God is not done with Israel, right? And all of the tribulation is partly about that. And then the millennial kingdom that we read about is about Israel and the church throughout eternity. All right. And we read about that in Revelation. We read about that in Ezekiel a little bit. We read that in Revelation 7, 14. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, that God will stop working with the church and will once again work with the nation of Israel. The millennial kingdom will start. You guys know Revelation well enough to know who are the rulers of, of, the, of Jesus Christ's kingdom during the millennial reign? 
There are 24 of them. Who are they? The 12 what? 12 apostles and the leaders of the 12 tribes. Why is that? Because well, this is all a Jewish deal. <laughs> okay? We're not, we're not reigning with him in that respect. Now, we'll reign in different ways, but they're the ones that are doing that. Why is that? Because as you go through the history, this is all about the Jewish people. The church was grafted in, okay? The new covenant is for Israel and Judah. But because we've been grafted in, we are part of that new covenant today. What part of the new covenant we are? Somebody explain to me the new covenant. What, when is it that, how is the new covenant explained in the New Testament? Who explained it to us? Jesus Christ did. Uh, excuse me. In the Gospels, Jesus Christ did. What did he do? He said, this cup is the new covenant that I make with you. What was the new covenant in effect? What was new? Through the, the death of Jesus Christ. Exactly right. That's the new covenant. Okay? Now I want to say something that, that, uh, that I know contradicts some things that people hear once in a while. I do not believe that we as believers have a new heart. And, and they take that from Ezekiel. That says that you will be given a new heart. In Ezekiel, it says you get a new heart. You'll have a heart of fle uh, flesh instead of a heart of a stone. You'll have a new heart. In, in Jeremiah, it says you'll have a new heart. And I'm going to take that to that next verse, and I'm going to say, if you, if you apply that for us today, you have to apply the next verse. And the next verse says that you don't need to tell anybody about Jesus Christ because they'll all know Jesus Christ. What is that referring to? What time of life? After a second coming, the millennial kingdom. When is it that there'll be a time when you won't have to witness? During the millennial kingdom, why won't you have to witness? Who's in the millennial kingdom? Christ is reigning, and who's in it with him? Believers, everybody who has been saved down through the ages. That's when you get your new heart. Remember how I started our class last week? What do you have today? What do you have today? Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. But you have the Holy Spirit inside this body, right? And what does this body have? All the stuff we always had. Okay? I think, now, I, I think that you can get in this argument, and it can be almost a semantics argument, but there are some people that will go so far and say that you have a new heart. Therefore, you know, all of your longings are new. Well, all evidence to the contrary. How many of you did not have an evil, wicked longing this last week? That's what, that's, why? Because we live in these bodies. Now, am I a new creation? You bet I am. But I am a new creation because of Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Okay, now I know that there's a fine line here, but I believe that that's a teaching that is not correct, and I believe that it's a teaching that can take us down a path that is a dangerous path to be on. Because I think it's a path that takes you down a, 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 a sanctification, perfection path, and I think that's dangerous. We need to understand that, that and, and I have said this, and you guys know what I believe. Do you have the power, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, to say no to sin at any given moment? Yes, you do. Do you have the power, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, to not give in to that urge that you've had for 44 years? Yes. You do, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, okay? That power of the Holy Spirit inside of you makes you a new creation, okay? But in making you that new creation, God has not done away with my urges, and he hasn't done away with my, listen, there are people, and you know them and I know them, that, that they, they are fighting today still the same battle they fought the day they were saved, right? That urge is still there. It's, God, release me from this body of sin. And, and God's answer to Paul concerning that was what? My grace is sufficient for you. Okay? So, so the new covenant, the new covenant is for the nation of Israel. The new heart, the completely no sin, 
the everybody will know Jesus Christ and will have no need to witness, that's the millennial kingdom promise. But we are part of the new covenant today. That we look to the blood of Jesus Christ, not the law. And we understand that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and he's the one that empowers us, and he's the one that enables us to do what we need to do. And I get that the last five minutes or so, I understand that there, there, to a certain degree, there's some fine line division here, and, and there could be some semantics. But I think it's important that we understand that the reason why you're changed is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that those old urges, those old desires, those old habits can be done away with and changed. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit when you yield to him. Okay? Is it hard? It's incredibly hard because we still have these bodies. We still have this flesh. We still have those things. When I was saved, when you were saved, my personality didn't change, and a lot of the issues of me didn't change. I became a new creation. And, 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 and unless you are yielding to him constantly, unless you are studying the word of God constantly, and that's another thing that the new covenant says, I will write my word on their heart. I don't have his word written on my heart yet. I got his word written in this book. I got to study it. I got to memorize it. I got to meditate upon it. Okay? And there will be a day when I won't need to do that, right? Millennial kingdom. His words will be written on my heart. I won't need, we won't need to have Bible studies during the millennial kingdom. All right, that's not going to happen. Why? Because we're going to have a new heart and his word's going to be written on our heart. Okay? That's what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. Until then, you've been made a new creation. I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. You've been made a new creation, and that's a powerful thing because the Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside of you, and, and, and you are amazing, okay? And, and that, for this particular lesson, the essential doctrine was the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to go into it. It was the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Randall, if you want to do the Holy Spirit next week, you can. And Randall's going to be teaching next Sunday morning. You can do the Holy Spirit instead of the other thing and just go one more step with this thing. It, it's the Holy Spirit that changes everything. I started my lesson with it last week, okay? But... The, the sad, tragic truth is this. Do you have the ability, have the power, have whatever word it is you want to put in that blank, do you have whatever that thing is to say no to the Holy Spirit at any given moment? Do you? Yes, you do. And you don't have to look backwards in your life very long to know that, do you? You do. But because of the Holy Spirit in your life, do you have the ability to yield to him and resist temptation? Yes, you do. Well, there's a paradox for you, isn't there? That's the Christian life, huh? That's what it is. New creation, pretty cool thing. But if we're not doing what we need to be doing, man, we act as if God doesn't exist. We act as if we're not new creations. And, and that's what we need to do in our, in our life is to make sure that we are acting upon the truth that has happened in our life, that we are a new creation. Okay? All right. New covenant. We don't read about it much. We don't study it much. We talk about it, you know, that Jesus says this, this blood is the new covenant, which I shed for you, this doing remembrance of me. That's what he's talking about. This is what it's talking about. But I, part of the reason why I love the gospel project so much is because it's given us the big picture. And I hope that you have the big picture. And I hope next time you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you can say, instead of saying, wow, I don't know, you can say, I see, I get it. Yeah, hey, that's making some sense now. Okay? Because Romans 9, 10, and 11, this is what it's all about. This is it. Okay? Plus a few other things in chapter 9. But generally, this is what it's about. It's good stuff. And it's talking about this. So isn't it something that God worked that way? so that you would be saved today, okay? Now, one more thing, and then we're done. So based upon all of this, should I become Jewish? No. Yeah, we already are. Somebody said, no. The answer is no. 
You will never read in the Bible where it says continue to celebrate the celebrations. You will never read in the Bible where it says continue to practice the feast. You will never read in the Bible where it says only say you Shia instead of Jesus. You will never read that nonsense that there's a movement around this world about. You don't read that stuff. You don't need to do that. You are Gentiles who have been grafted in. It's okay to act Gentilish. Okay? You're not Jews. You don't need to act like Jews, all right? And, and that is just a bad teaching that's going on in our world and in our community, and you, you do not need to be a part of it. You do not. That's, it's an unbiblical movement, okay? God didn't say that. And the Apostle Paul had plenty of opportunities to say it, didn't he? So I love it with those kinds of things. Paul had plenty of opportunities to say, by the way, all of you new Gentiles, here are the rules. Go forth and practice. Thus ends my letter. I mean, that's, he could have done that. Never once, never came even close. Okay? So, you're Gentiles who have been grafted in to this massive plan of God. And all of the things you read about that will happen in the millennial kingdom, you're, you're going to be part of that. You're going to be part of that. Because you've been grafted in. But it's happening way, way over there. It's the millennial kingdom. That's when it's all coming to pass. That's what Ezekiel and Jeremiah is talking about. Okay, the new covenant. All right, we got to go because we're already late. So if you have questions, come talk to me. I, I'd love to talk about this some more. If you have questions or, or don't understand or want to say wait a sec or whatever, okay? I, I hope that this makes sense to you and it helps you out. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. And I pray that you would take my words and make them the right words. And, and that, Lord, that if I've said things that are incorrect or bad, that we would forget them and that we'd move on, and that you would correct me, uh, Lord, that we would take those that are truthful and right, and we would soak them in and take them and, and understand them and realize just exactly what you've done and step back and say, wow, what amazing stuff God has done in making all of this come to pass. And hopefully we anticipate the millennial a little bit more in understanding this. Father, we know that you have given us a new creation through the Holy Spirit. You have made us new. And yet there are many times we don't live new. Forgive us of that and cleanse us. May we repent from that and live out the truth of what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.